Last week, we, we spoke about John 3.16. We're so familiar. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believeth in him uh, would not perish but have everlasting life. And when we think about that and we kind of drill down on the idea that the scripture talks about this reality. I mean, think about it for a moment. The reality that there is everlasting life. And when I think about heaven, I'm, I'm kind of thinking about that. I mean, I know that there's that part in Revelation that says that when we begin to walk with Jesus and we choose Jesus, you know, as our Lord, as our Savior, that our name is written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. How many have ever heard that before? And so we understand that. And, and, and we, we know that heaven is about everlasting life. And in Genesis chapter 1, we read there in the first verse, remember, in the beginning God created the heavens. And the earth. And today is it's about the, the heaven side of things. What I, I want to talk about. Even when we are in our darkest hour. To remember that. I mean the heaven side of things. Where, when we are in our darkest hour. Even when things are unimaginably difficult. And even when we are walking in the valley of the shadow of death. I, I was moved when I, I, I read a story that James Dobson told a few years ago. And he tells this heart-wrenching story about this this five-year-old African-American boy that uh, had lung cancer. And he was dying of lung cancer. And the nurse that was caring for the family, because now he was in the hospital. And it looked like he was on that downward slope. And and the nurse takes the, the mother aside and explains to the mother what it was going to be like. That it was going to be difficult. And that this her little boy is going to... His lungs are going to fill up with liquid and that he was going to struggle and he was probably going to be afraid some and and really kind of go through the suffocating process and such a horrible, I mean, such a horrible image. And and so the nurse gently is sharing this with the mother and the the nurse leaves and and then the next day she comes in and there's the mother holding her five-year-old little son in her lap. And the little boy is saying, he's looking up at his mom, struggling to breathe. And he's looking up at his mom and saying, Mom, I can hear the bells of heaven. I can hear the bells of heaven. And and the nurse gently reminds the mom that, you know, he's probably hallucinating. He's probably a lack of oxygen and hallucinating. And the mother looks up at the nurse and say, no, honey. She says, no, because this morning, this morning I, I told my son that if he... You know, if he's struggling and he's afraid and, and he don't know what to do because he's so afraid, just listen closely. And if you listen closely, son, you will hear the bells of heaven. And my son's been hearing the bells of heaven since this morning. Well, unfortunately, you know, as cancer works, that evening, the little boy did go to be with Jesus. He did go to heaven, but he was still hearing the bells of heaven right up to the very end. This is what we know as believers. I mean, we we are Christians. We, we are believers in the word of God. And this is what we know because the word of God teaches us that is so. And that is this, that heaven is for real. Watch this video. And uh, that's a good place to end right there. Uh, because we know this. We know that God... God loves us and that God has has a plan for us. No question. In fact, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter six, if you were to turn there, you could look there in in six, Matthew six, looking at verse 19 when Jesus he's talking about this idea. He's he's alluding to the reality of this 
this concept of heaven when he says, he says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves where? Treasures in heaven where, you know, moth and rust do not, you know, destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. And so we have this idea that's presented that there is this place that God is planning for us. In fact, if we need further evidence in Scripture, follow me now. We go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and looking at verse 9. And, Pete, and Paul is talking about uh, that is written what no eye has seen, what, what no ear has heard, nor the heart of man can imagine what God has prepared for those that love him. So we have this loving father that is loving his creation and he is prepared for his creation. That's you and I. The idea that heaven is for real. Amen. And then in Luke chapter 23 and 43, remember when Jesus was there on the cross and the thief was next to him and he says to the thief, he speaks these words. He says, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And then we're reminded in John chapter 14 and 2 when Jesus says in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go there to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will call you to come and be with me so that you might be where I am also. There where the mansions are created. That place that is called, you know, heaven. That is, that is this, this promise that, that God gives us. So we go to the scripture and the scripture is lifting up this idea that there is heaven. And in fact, in Revelation, we, we see more unfold before us in Revelation chapter 21, looking around verse 1. We read there, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven, the first earth, had passed away and the sea was no more. So this earth and this heaven that we know will be no more. There is this new heaven and this new earth. And so there is this revelation of the heaven that is going to be that God is creating for us. And then, wow, what an image in Revelation chapter Chapter 21, go with me there together. Revelation chapter 21, and imagine this. And the 12 gates were 12 pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl. And I'm imagining the bluish, swirly, you know, shimmering, shiny idea and beauty of a pearl. You remember what a pearl looks like and how beautiful the pearl is. But here is a pearl that is large enough to be a gate. Can you imagine that? And in here, what we're reading about are 12 gates that are just like that. And then as we appear there on the street of gold, so to speak, a gold that is so transparent that it is pure and it is like nothing that we've ever seen before. And then he writes, and I saw no temple in the city for its temple is the Lord God, the almighty and the lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives its light and its lamb and its lamp is the lamb and by its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring the glory into it and its gates will never be shut by day. And so we have the new city and the new earth and there are the gates that are open and and we are moving from from the earth, the new earth into the city in the very presence of God because the gates are open and we have this immediate access to the father like in prayer today. But yet it's immediate in the presence of God, but yet in the new world that he creates for us. Amen. Wow. What an image that he gives gives us the very glory of God is the light of heaven and that glory will shine forevermore and forevermore and ever after and ever after. And folks, there is no question. We believe in heaven as believers of God's holy word. Amen. We believe in heaven. 
And there's no question in our mind today that heaven is for real. And by the way, I cannot wait. I cannot wait to go there. I mean, what a what a glorious experience that that it's going to be to be with with the Savior and to know Jesus and ask questions and to see your loved ones. I mean, heaven, it's for real. But but further still, I, I propose this morning that the scripture, what Jesus is really wanting us to understand is not so much what heaven is like. Now, bear with me for just a moment. Not so much what heaven is like. I mean, there's a lot of description about heaven, what heaven is like, and you're trying to understand that in the word of God itself. But I believe I propose that what scripture is also trying to show us and what Jesus really is wanting us to look at more is what heaven is about. What heaven is about. And how maybe the deeper question the more complex question that we need to ask ourselves is, is the question about meaning in life. A very dynamic question, a question about, you know, the goal of life itself. And by virtue of the fact that you're here today, you believe that, that it is something more than just gathering and collecting power and things. I mean, if, I mean, if this was the quest of life, that we're just to gather power and we're just to collect things, and, and that is the sum total of our quest then imagine how disappointed we are going to be when we get to the end of our lives and we realize that life is not about gathering power and things and stuff. You see, Jesus, he wants us, he wants his audience to get it. Last Sunday, we were talking about the disciples and and Jesus trying to help them. You know, they've got to get this before he he dies and before he sends to heaven. They've got to get it. He wants us to get it. He wants us to know the, the better meaning, the real meaning of life. And so what does Jesus teach us? He teaches us that heaven is about serving with a pure heart. In fact, we see this surface again and again and again. And, and then in one place in, in Luke chapter chapter 22, there's an argument that breaks out. And remember what they're talking about. They're talking about the, the least and the greatest. And, you know, they're trying to figure out the disciples, you know, what what's more important. I mean, who's really more important here? And I love how Jesus works and he teaches. He takes a little child and he has him stand beside him. And he talks about the innocence of a child and. He talks about the dynamic of service. And so he admonished this idea of innocence that you see, if you understand this, if you get this, this innocence of this child, then you're beginning to grasp, grasp and understand some of the things and the truth about heaven. And so he admonishes, uh, you know, innocence and service. And then a little bit earlier than that in Luke chapter nine, look at that. In Luke chapter nine, again, there's a dispute that breaks out. And again, the disciples are arguing about the greatest and the least and all of that. And, and then Jesus again admonishes saying, look, it's not the greatest. It's not about the greatest among us. And in Matthew chapter 23, and looking at verse 11 and 12, we read there, the greatest among us will be our servants. For he who exalts himself, you know, shall be humbled, but he who humbles himself shall, shall be exalted. And so, you see, the scripture kind of points us in this direction again and again and again. So the pure in heart are not those who are humble because they want to be great. Follow me. The pure in heart are not those that, that are humble because they want to be great. You see, it's more a humility that is born out of a love that we have for God and, and, and our Savior. 
Because when we love the Savior, follow me, when we love the Savior, we love, we love others. Because God loves, he loves his creation, those that he created. And so we love others because God created them in his image. We understand that. And then Jesus, in his beautiful way, the way that he always does, he he really just kind of leads them and just puts a point on it. In Luke chapter 10, if you have God's word, let's go there. We're not going to read it, but I want us to just kind of remember the story that Jesus tells here in Luke chapter 10. So we can kind of glance at it. Turn to Luke. Take a moment and turn to Luke. Everybody turn to Luke chapter 10. And we're going to begin there at verse 30. And we'll just be covering really the story down through verse 37. And again, this is very interesting because what's happening is there is an expert of the law, really a lawyer, that challenges Jesus. And he asks the question, you know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, remember, he's a theist. So Jesus is is not needing to convince him of God. He already believes in God. And so Jesus really kind of throws it back at him. You know, what do you say? And, of course, it, it is to love the Lord that God with all our, our heart, soul, strength and mind and to love our neighbor as ourself. And, of course, Jesus says you answered correctly. But then he takes it a little bit uh, a step further by saying now. Now, if this is truth, then how does this truth become realized in our lives? I mean, how how do we. How do we really fully love God? Because the the crux of the question, I mean, really, the summation of the response is, do I love God fully? And that's kind of in the terms that we can understand this morning, that I can understand. How do I love God? If I say that I love God, then believer, we need to ask the question. I mean, if we are setting our compass, I mean, as a congregation, as Mission Church of the Nazarene, and this is the time that we are resetting our compass then I need to ask this congregation, how do we fully love God? And in fact, Jesus, he he unfolds the truth for us about how to fully love God by telling a story. And the story is is the story of the Good Samaritan. And you remember the story of the Good Samaritan. It's a man, the story of a man that is traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And I say down to Jericho because the journey from Jerusalem down to Jericho is kind of a, a rocky, narrow, mountainous type of pass, mountainous pass. It, it goes down. Jericho's lower than, than Jerusalem. And, and what I, I've learned is that there were caves and niches in the rock that were along the path, a very narrow, dangerous, rocky path where robbers and thieves would hide out. And so as it would be, Jesus tells a story that the man is attacked by one of these robbers. He's attacked, he's beaten, and he's stripped naked, and then he's there left. And so I now imagine a man that is bleeding some and bruised and maybe a black eye and maybe maybe a fractured arm. And he's lying there kind of twisted on the ground. And it's a very visual, a very visual thing that Jesus gives us as he's. He's teaching, he's telling the story about this notorious path that this man was on. In fact, it was so dangerous, some would say it was equal to walking at nighttime in the inner city. I wonder how many of us this morning feel like all of our life, our whole life has been like that rocky, dangerous path. I wonder how many of us this morning gets to say it feels like, man, it seems like life has just been uphill and downhill and uphill. I mean, enough is enough. And it seems like that life has kind of beaten us up in every direction that we've gone. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've never been beaten. 
Anybody here ever really been beaten? I mean, beaten and stripped. And I've never been beaten. I think the closest I can come to it is uh, I wrestled in high school. And our high school was state champions three years in a row. Go Bulldogs. But, but here's the deal. I was, I was only 97 pounds and I wrestled in the 98-pound weight class. <laughs> and you know what that means, guys, those that wrestled? That means that I was at the bottom of the pile always. And that everybody else was bigger than I. And we'd, we'd warm up with a five-mile run. This is why we were state champions. Five-mile run. And then we'd wrestle for like three hours. And, and, and he'd turn up the heat. The coach would turn up the heat in the wrestling room. And we'd sweat. And there'd be puddles of sweat on the mat. And we're just, you know, kind of being manly and all this kind of stuff. And, and But I was 97 pounds, man. I was picked on. Does anybody feel sorry for me? <laughs> Because that was the deal. I was being beaten up on a pretty regular basis and nobody felt sorry for me at all. And I don't think that even compares to the man on the road there to to where he was going. Stripped and beaten. I can imagine in my mind's eye as I'm allowing my imagination to work that. Finally, when the priest came along, that's how Jesus tells the story. When the priest came along, he probably is thinking, hey, here's some relief. Thank goodness. Finally, somebody that cares because he's a pastor. And I mean, of all people, pastors care, right? And so here's the pastor. And certainly he's going to stop and help the guy that's been beaten and stripped. And, and he's lying there broken and bloody. And certainly the pastor's going to help. And But as the story's unfolding, what's happening, and, and it's a narrow path. So maybe it's just a few feet away. But here's the pastor. He, he's skirting around him. The pastor does not care. Well, then a little time passes. And Jesus says, then comes the Levite. And the Levite is uh, it's, it's, it's those that serve in the temple. So let's call him a board member. <laughs> and so the board member comes along and you know, the board member sees a guy that's beaten. I can imagine that guy in the eye that he could see with the eye that he could see with. He, he's thinking, oh, here's a board member. He loves the church. He cares about people. Certainly the board member is going to stop and help. And what happens is the board member does not care. And the board member passes him by. But then comes the good Samaritan. And to the Jewish lawyer... You see, the good Samaritan, the Samaritan, was the bad guy to the Jewish lawyer. I mean, there was this cultural split. There was this, this angst, you know, between the peoples. And he was the bad guy. He, he was, in the, the mind of the Jewish lawyer, he was a scoundrel. And the shock effect of the story that Jesus is telling, I mean, the emotive of the story is that the hero is the bad guy. And it says that he takes pity on him, meaning like mercy or compassion. And in fact, the Greek word is, is elios, E-L-E-O-S, which is a covenant of loyalty, really the covenant and loyalty to God and his, his pathos, God's pathos, God's compassion and God's emotion in this situation. And so he's loyal to that. And so he's so emotionally moved that he follows through. And there's one thing about being emotionally moved. Oh, that's too bad. But being emotionally moved to the point that there's follow through, that's too bad. 
And there's this follow through and he begins to show the emotion and the compassion of God himself and his devotion causes him to follow through. And folks, it's the same kind of mercy that God shows man in offering salvation through Jesus Christ, because God is a compassionate God. He is a loving God and God wants to have relationship with you and he wants to be a part of your life. And that's the kind of mercy that he shows us when he came, became flesh and he died on the cross. I love the story that Jesus tells here. Because if heaven is about serving with a pure heart, listen now, if heaven is about serving with a pure heart, then we show mercy. If heaven is about serving with a pure heart, we show love. And so that's what happens. The man, he he goes to the man that was beaten and stripped and he kneels down and he straightens his arm and along his body and helps his leg and. The scripture in the story, he, he bandages him and he uses wine and, and oil. And it's interesting because wine with the alcohol has this purifying effect and, and it, it, it purifies the wound and keeps, you know, what would create infection. And so that the thing that would kill him is held at bay because of the care that he gives in bandaging the wound with the wine. And then there is is the oil. And there's there's some properties in oil, healing properties that, that really shocked me. My wife, I had a terrible sunburn, California sunburn. And my wife said, put coconut oil. She puts that on her face. I don't know why. But she says, put coconut oil. And I go, ah, it's oily. It's oily. So I went ahead and put coconut oil on her because I'm a good husband. And, uh, and I put it on. And guess what? The next morning, bam, it was fixed. There's something about the healing property of oil and you learn more about that as you study that and read that and 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 so it's great that this is what's happening he's bandaging healing purifying really giving us the example of what it means to experience the spirit of the lord in our brokenness the the spirit to live by the spirit is to love and show righteousness that, that's the illustration of the story here. And the product of our love for God is reflected in how we show love for others. How we love others who are designed in his image. And when we are loving others as God loves us because they are created in his image, then there's no room for intolerance. There's no room for racial discrimination. There's no room for honoring one over another because of economy or because of status or because of position. Because why? Because they are created in the image of God And we love them because God loves them. Amen. Jesus makes it clear that salvation is in relationship with the Father through the Son. And by the grace of God, we receive salvation by that free gift. But you see, Jesus makes it clear here that to live fully in that relationship, to fully love God, what it looks like is it looks like the activity and the life of this good Samaritan. Now, part of the story takes us back to the response of the teacher of the law, the lawyer in the beginning, because he latches onto the second part of the definition of loving God, which is to love thy neighbor. And likely because in ancient times, your neighbor is defined by culture and this culture defines the neighbor in one way and this culture defines the neighbor in another and so, therefore, there is the opposite that is true, that though this one's defined as neighbor, then, then they are not neighbor. So, you see, the culture tendency is to define who is not your neighbor because it's not according to the law. And, and it's not an accident because what happens here in Jesus' story, Jesus breaks that tradition 
saying that heaven transcends the cultural tradition. Did you hear that? (laughs) Yippee! Heaven transcends the cultural tradition. Amen. So if, if heaven is about serving with a pure heart, we show that we care. And that's what happens is the Samaritan, then he provides the transportation and he gets the man moving and he provides him the lodging and pays for the lodging. And, and then the ongoing financial support so that there's this continual help and this continual service because, because he loves the Lord. So, so what does fully loving God, fully church loving God look like? I think it's no accident. Now, listen, I want to have everybody hear this. It's no accident. Then we talk about what it looks like to fully love God. That the second part, the middle part of our mission is serving. (laughs) It's serving others. That the very middle part of our mission is the mobilizing part of the mission that mobilizes the congregation as we are resetting our compass for God's glory. We are mobilized to serve, not because we want to be in service, because we love God. Because we love God, we serve others because God first loved us. Amen. I go I go back in my mind, and I'm just rambling, I know, but I, I go back in my mind to September, and September, remember Pastor Jeff, we, we launched the vision and our strategic plan and seek, serve, and reach. And, and in that moment, I, I remember, you know, imagining the, you know, an idea, an idea is, is having a kind of a Frito-Lay, a potato chip truck, like a, one of those square trucks you know, that somebody would maybe donate to us and we'd put a nice new wrap on it with our M logo and it would be mobile mission. And we'd have some of our doctors volunteer a few hours and some of our nurses, you know, volunteer some hours and we would serve the community and we have food and, and clothing. And then maybe once a week we'd give three hours and we'd go downtown or where we need to to minister to those that are in need. I can imagine that happening. I, I can imagine a, another thing like a. And we're just kind of on the fly here, but a a mission moment and the mission moment would be like a a three hour time period that once a quarter, once a quarter, that's only four times a year, that once a quarter we have this parking lot full of you and people, you know, that are offering their services to people for free. Like people that are widows, people that are single mothers, people that are hurting and people that are in the margins and people that are poor. And we have free oil changes for those three hours and we have free haircuts for those three hours and free face makeovers for those three hours and maybe a 10 minute shoulder massage because, you know, people, you know, it's stressful. And we have all these one person out there in the courtyard after church this morning. This couple came to me and say, I have an idea. I want to, I have a source, I want to buy shoes for kids. Could we have a station where I could fit kids and they'd show up on the campus, I can fit kids and give kids free shoes that need free shoes? I said, yippee, yes, you can. Another idea that came up. I I mean, can you imagine if we were able to impact our community and and, and make a difference that way? I guess what I'm getting at is, folks, how do we mobilize our congregation? How do we mobilize it so it's not just a statement, it's not just an idea, but we are mobilized in mission for the glory of God. Now, this is going to fall completely flat if you're waiting for Pastor Miller 
to make it happen. Because Pastor Miller, I can't make it happen. I can't be the leader of all of it. I can mentor and I can pull groups together and empower and delegate. But man, I believe that God is pulling somebody's heartstring this morning to say, Pastor, I want to do that. Just like some of the people said, I'd like to have this booth and I'd like to serve in this way. Some One of the ladies does Mary Kay and she said she'd like to do facials and, and, and I, great. And so how, how do we mobilize our congregation that you step up? Now, how many have heard of the, the Pareto principle? The Pareto principle? That's where 20% of the people do 80% of the work. You follow what I'm saying? And so what happens as we do new ministry and things ha- start, what happens, these people that are gung-ho, the same 20% keep volunteering over and over again. And so we wear them out. I believe that God is stirring hearts this morning. And there's some here today that maybe will say, Pastor, can, 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 I, can I be a part of this? Can I do this? God's moving my heart, and I want to be involved in this way. And I think we'll be surprised what God wants to do as we think about how do we mobilize our congregation and we serve, and we serve others. Why? Because God created them, and he loves them. Amen? So I want to invite us to just think about that. If God's stirring your heart, come up and volunteer. Come up and let me know. And let's just begin to move. Let's move our congregation. Let's, let's rise up for God's glory. Let's stand together. And let's really rise, too. Let's stand together. And uh, we're going to pray. Precious Father in heaven, I thank you, God, for answered prayer. I thank you, Father, for, Lord, just this very imaginative, poignant story that Jesus gives us about the Good Samaritan. And Lord, how he just kind of puts it all together. And he really is answering the question, how do we fully love you, God? I pray that, Lord, that you would just, Father, and just anoint this congregation, infuse this congregation, Father, with, with vision and insight about, Lord, you know, how you might use them. And, Lord, just give them creativity that we might be mobilized as a church. I pray that, Father in heaven, that you would direct us as we were talking about last Sunday, about having faith and stepping out in faith and having a a dream in in, in such a size that we realize that if we can do it, it's no faith at all. But, Father, we want a, a vision that's your vision that glorifies you. And so, Father, I pray that you would just anoint this congregation. Anoint that man or that woman or even that young person, that teenager saying, I want to step up and I want to do that. And I want to serve in this way. And so, Father in heaven, I thank you for what you're doing in our hearts. I thank you, God, for stirring us and and moving us and just setting us on fire, Father. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Thank you, God, for speaking to our hearts. Thank you, Lord, for not letting us stay where we're at, keeping us from just sitting in our seat and doing nothing, but being something for you, Father. Thank you for that this morning, Jesus. We just pray, Father, that you would just speak right now to that heart. Oh, Father in heaven, we just want to linger long enough to hear your voice. Linger long enough, Lord, to just respond, to worship you, and to say, yes, God, we obey want to do. So, Father, I pray for that one right now that you're just touching on the shoulder. You're speaking to their heart. They're inspired. They want to be a part. I pray, Lord, that you'd anoint them. Lord, just touch them. Lift them right now, I pray, Father. We thank you for that. We pray all these things in Jesus Christ's glorious name.